Hey, I'm Tamara Kendacker, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. So this weekend, diplomats, activists, and heads of state from around the world are flying into Glasgow for COP26, short for the 26th annual UN Conference of the Parties. The summit will bring together leaders from over 190 countries to discuss and debate their progress in the global fight against climate change and to come up with new plans to reach the target of net zero emissions by 2050. This is a highly anticipated event, and it's coming on the heels of one of the most devastating years we've had in terms of the visible consequences of climate change. Droughts, wildfires, heat waves, floods, and storms that scientists say will likely become more frequent and intense. But there's one leader who's unlikely to be there. Chinese President Xi Jinping. And a lot of people are asking what the point is of having a gathering on international cooperation on climate change without the leader of the world's worst emitting country. You know, this idea that China is going to somehow let the world warm catastrophically or, or, you know, refuse to cut emissions at all just to spite the US, I, I think that's absurd. James Griffiths is The Globe's Asia correspondent, and we're going to talk about COP26, what it means if Xi Jinping isn't there, and how China is approaching the fight against climate change. You're listening to The Decibel. Hey, James, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. So COP26 is starting soon, and there are about 20,000 people going, including a lot of world leaders, but Chinese President Xi Jinping, as far as we know, isn't going. And why is that? So Xi Jinping hasn't left China for uh, about two years now, basically since the pandemic started. Uh, Neither has Premier Li Keqiang, several other top Chinese officials. The only really high-ranking Chinese official who's been flitting around the world is the foreign minister Wang Yi. So... Chinese officials have been staying within China. It's part of the country's incredibly strict COVID protocols and and conforming with those that that they've been asking people to to sacrifice a lot for containing COVID. China's only ever had a few hundred cases at points this year. So it's been very successful, but part of that is making a big sacrifice. And so I think sometimes the leaders have felt that for them to leave the country and to fly around the world might be send the wrong message. Mm -hmm. So she has been attending basically every other important summit digitally and, you know, by video link. There's a kind of good reason to expect that he won't go. There is also, you know, COP runs into November and there is a big, very important Chinese political summit coming up in early November as well, which might be another reason uh, for Xi to remain in Beijing. I see. Is there going to be any representation from China at COP26? China is definitely sending representatives and and China is obviously an important player in COP and it will, will have various top officials there, just not Xi Jinping himself. And why is Xi Jinping seen as such a notable absence? Why is it important for China to be there? So China is the world's largest emitter when it comes to the total amount of CO2 and other greenhouse gases that it's pumping out. It's worth noting that it is not the total worst by per capita. Canada has actually over double uh, China's emissions per capita. US is, is miles ahead too. But in terms of actual total emissions, just because of the sheer size of China, size of the economy, the amount of uh, power stations and things like that in China, it is you know the world's largest. And so if we're going to get serious on cutting the amount of global emissions, China has to be involved in that conversation and ideally has to be making you know, a major commitment and major sacrifices as part of that. 
when we say China is the biggest or one of the biggest emitters, what do we mean by that? Uh, so in terms of total global emissions, uh, the latest figures, China was responsible for about 28% of those. And the next largest emitter was the US, which is responsible for about 15. And the next largest after that is uh, India with seven. So, so, you know, you can see that China is, you know, obviously a huge part of global emissions. One thing the Chinese will point out, though the maybe less so now than they used to, is that historically the amount of emissions they've released is is far far lower. The mm-hmm. the CO two, the the greenhouse gases that are really heating the earth and been heating the earth over the last you know twenty years or so, most of them were pumped out during the Industrial Revolution. They were pumped out by the U.S. by other major nations, while China was very much still a developing country. But today, China is is the worst offender, and you know if we're going to rein things in, China needs to cut down. I mean, the other thing that's probably worth highlighting is that like Xi Jinping is planning not to show up to COP26 as far as we know, but there are other countries that we should also mention, right, that have been kind of trying to undermine the summit before it even starts. Yeah, so um, the BBC reported recently, uh, based on leaked documents ahead of COP, that a coalition of countries, um, including Saudi Arabia, Japan and Australia, were lobbying the UN to, to play down the need to move away from fossil fuels. We saw Australia, which despite being a, a tiny country, is a major emitter. They released a plan this week that basically included no real realistic model for how to reach their targets, um, was basically completely dependent on some imaginary technology to somehow cut down on their carbon emissions at some point in the future. So, you know, there is a lot of attention paid to China with with very good reason because of the size of emissions that it puts out. But you know, arguably, China does take this a lot more seriously and is making more serious commitments than than many other countries. And China did release a new action plan on climate this week. And can you tell me a bit about that? What are the goals they've set out and what does the plan entail? Uh, so the plan largely reiterates uh, goals that they'd put out previously, which were to reach peak carbon emissions by 2030 and full carbon neutrality by 2060. It gave a bit of a kind of framework for how this might be achieved. So, you know, by 2025, they will reduce this much by 20. 20- 30, this much, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also it, it set some priorities for, for various industries. It set a kind of top level framework within the Chinese system that this is very important, you know, making sure that companies are aware of this and really signaling that they're going to stick to these goals that they said previously. And, and so if you kind of take the plan on its own, it is very positive and, and it was received very positively by a lot of climate analysts and scientists what is slightly concerning and I think where people were slightly disappointed is that it's basically is it stuck to these goals that were previously announced and it didn't bring them up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ideally for real catastrophic warming to be avoided, China needs to bring its goals up by at least kind of five, 10 years. So, you know, it needs to peak by 2025 rather than 2030, if not even earlier. I wasn't actually sure what peak carbon emissions means. What is that exactly? Uh, so China has been going up and up and up in terms of emissions for years. And the idea is that they will finally reach a plateau by 2030, after which they will start to reduce emissions. And then, you know, in theory, within the next three decades after that, they'll have reached carbon neutrality, which which is also a, a term that doesn't necessarily mean what it sounds like, but at least it means a lot less emissions. Okay. And so there are observers who are hoping that that deadline would be moved up to like 2025. And do we know why they haven't done that and why they haven't set more ambitious targets? 
That's an interesting question. I, I think there are a couple of possibilities for it. One is that potentially this is leaving wiggle room for diplomacy and for uh, talks and COP to go ahead. Um, there are also concerns within China, I think, about trying to decarbonize too quickly. So, so you know, 2025 is, is, you know, just over three years away at this point. And so, you know, the country is still incredibly dependent on coal in particular. And so to try and shift away from that very, very quickly, there might be concerns that this will have a, a real kind of dampening effect on, on various industries and, and potentially on, you know, domestic power supply. So there's already worry, right, that the pace of China's climate transition is maybe it's too fast because I know there have been these power outages in recent weeks in China. And I wonder if you can kind of shed some light on what's actually been happening with these power outages and what are people saying about them? Yeah, so there's been a lot of confusing messaging around that, mainly because at one point there were some uh, power shortages around September that were to do with some emissions reduction efforts that, you know, basically some regional governments had, had you know, instituted kind of slightly too strict targets and hadn't maybe taken into account how uh, needs might change as, as winter approached. And also there's been a lot higher demand than was expected for Chinese manufacturing this year, which has also driven some of this power shortage. That has not been the cause of the most recent and the much more severe power outages that China's seen um, in the last month or so. That's much more to do with with kind of a global uh, supply issue that cut coal prices and and, and also some other kind of intricacies of how uh, electricity pricing is done in China. But that kind of confusion and that kind of overlap between these two problems has led or has created space for uh, people to kind of try and blame this on, you know, climate targets and on, on you know, trying to cut emissions. The challenge for, for China to hit its goals, even these, you know, maybe less ambitious than people would hope goals that they have currently, is both the fact that the country is still so dependent on coal that, you know, ideally it would have started this transition, you know, decades ago. And so trying to do that in a hurry is always going to be very difficult, both from a practical perspective of ensuring that people get power and, and heat, and from a perspective that the coal uh, industry industry and, and the fossil fuel industry in general in China is very powerful and is a very strong lobby against this. So we talked about this on another episode that we did about Evergrande. Uh, recently, Xi Jinping has been cracking down on the private sector in China as part of his fight against inequality, as part of this doctrine he has called common prosperity. How do China's climate ambitions fit into that? So for years, basically since the Tiananmen Square process of 1989, there's been a, a sort of tacit deal between the, the Chinese government and the Chinese people that, that if you stay out of politics, we'll let everyone get rich and, and the economy will continue to grow and, and this country will boom. And, you know, that's been, <laughs> you know, it's been a fairly consistent deal that people have not been able to get involved in politics, but the economy has grown all that times. But a lot of people have got very rich. 
uh, working people have got certainly richer, though obviously there is a huge, still a huge amount of inequality in China. Um, but for a long time, that kind of deal, that policy was driven on increasing the, the size of the pie that was being shared rather than changing how it was shared around the country. And, and mm-hmm. so there's always been this huge focus within China, you know, from a governmental level on GDP growth, on, you know, on posting, you know, serious growth every year um, to the extent that a lot of um, economic analysts are very suspicious about China's annual GDP numbers. As China develops, and, you know, China really is, you know, it's difficult to call China a developing nation anymore. You know, this is the world's mm-hmm. second largest economy, if not the world's largest economy by some measures. You know, and, and, and as it becomes a developed nation, growth is going to slow down. That's just the nature of things. And, you know, potentially the common prosperity doctrine fits in relatively well in this because it's not focusing on, oh, we just need to keep growing the economy forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever in order to, to, to let everyone get rich. It's focusing on the fact that, hey, we've got, you know, more billionaires than any other country in the world. Why aren't they sharing some of that wealth with the rest of the country, especially when we still claim to be a uh, communist country and a one that believes in socialism? So the U.S. and China combined are responsible for more than 40 percent of global carbon emissions. And I've seen uh, experts say that it's crucial for these two countries to cooperate for us to get anywhere on climate action. But obviously, the U.S.'s relationship with China was pretty strained under Donald Trump. Is that changing under Joe Biden? Yes and no. There Obviously, are still ongoing tensions uh, between Beijing and Washington on a number of issues. Uh, there have been tensions this month over Taiwan. Biden has taken a pretty hard line on China, harder than the Obama administration ever did. At the same time, uh, there have been very significant high-level meetings uh, between the US and China when it comes to climate. There was a joint communique earlier this year from both nations about the importance of, of fighting climate change. And there is some tension, it seems, within the US administration on, you know, how to deal with China on climate, whether there is a need to softball some other issues or, you know, not confront Beijing so much while we focus on fighting climate. But I, I've spoken to analysts and experts, you know, in China and elsewhere who also think that this is somewhat overstating it, that, you know, the people that kind of say, oh, the US is making sacrifices or we mustn't make sacrifices uh, for climate to gain China's support on climate, you know, aren't necessarily paying attention to the progress that's already been made um, mm-hmm. under Biden and, and with, by John Kerry. You know, and I think it also risks ignoring the fact that, you know, China doesn't want a climate disaster. You know, this idea that China is going to somehow, you know, let the world warm catastrophically or, or, you know, refuse to cut emissions at all, just despite the US, I I think that's absurd. (laughs) And and that's, you know, I I think we need to take into the fact that China is also coming at these conversations from a point of view that they want to cut global emissions and fight the climate catastrophe just as much as the US is. And, you know, potentially sometimes more than, than the US is, because after all, out of these two administrations, only one of them quit the Paris Agreement in the last few years, and it wasn't right. Beijing. Right. So so China does seem to recognize the dangers of climate change. It obviously takes it very seriously. But there is a lot of attention being paid to the fact that she is not going to show up at COP26. Um, is it fair to read that as a sign that they don't care about international cooperation when it comes to climate change? Yeah, I don't think it's fair. 
public perception, I think, has been damaged uh, potentially by this. Uh, and also, I think it's given certain politicians who are very critical of China an easy scapegoat to try and kind of blame China for any failure of COP before it happens. Though, you know, as we were talking about earlier, there are a lot of other uh, players who probably will bear a lot of blame for if, if this conference isn't a success. Having said that, you know, China's involvement in COP is very important. And, you know, international diplomacy on climate is very important. And we've already seen it to be very important. You know, the Paris Agreement was a vital thing to get sorted. Um, You know, the fact that the US pulled out of it um, during the Trump administration was very um, detrimental to global efforts towards cutting emissions. And, you know, most... Uh, analysts I spoke to are, are still, you know, tentatively optimistic about COP that there could be, um, you know, some once that people get in the room, once the countries can present their various um, slates to, to the conference and what they're willing to agree and what they're willing to what kind of uh, cuts they're willing to make that something could still come out of this. You know, I think that maybe focusing on Xi Jinping's presence or lack thereof is something of a distraction. James, thank you so much for this conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's it for today. And before I let you go, today is my last day hosting the Decibel. I'm moving on, but I'm leaving the mic in very capable hands. My colleague Adrian Lee is going to take over for the next while starting Monday. It has been a truly wild and wonderful ride helping to launch the show, and I want to thank the team that works tirelessly every day to make it happen. Our producers, Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Kasia Mihailovich, our editor, David Crosby, and our executive editor, Angela Pachenza. Thank you so much to James Griffiths. You can find him on Twitter at jgriffiths. And thank you so much for listening. I have loved watching the community around the show grow and hearing from listeners every day. I hope you'll keep listening and supporting this podcast because it's going to keep being great. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at anima underscore TK. If you want to reach The Decibel, you can email thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you haven't already, hit that follow button wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. Have a great weekend and the show will be back on Monday.